0: Well, guys, listen, open your Bibles today. It's, it's going to be a fun day in the Lord. We have something special for all the men in the church. And uh, ladies, if you will today, I, I'm, I, I'm not excluding you because in Christ, there's neither male nor female, right? There's neither bond nor free. We, we recognize that. But on this Father's Day... God really gave me a message I want to speak to to our men, but it's going to apply to all of us. So I want you to open your Bibles the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. If you were here last week, my great friend Frank Canador was here. I, I always miss it that I'm not here when he's here because I love hearing him speak. He's, uh, he's so much fun. I always want to like join a team when he's around, like go, go play for the coach because he just has that motivating uh, factor about him. But uh, thank you for welcoming him. And uh, but today, let's turn our hearts to God's word. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to be spending our time. In the summer season, kind of coming through May, we've been been in a series called Come Walk With Me. It's a series we've been focusing on a moment in the Apostle Peter's life, a, a moment where Jesus invited him into a life that he could not live on his own, a moment where he invited him to come walk with him. And, and all of us, all the creation of God every one of us have that same imitation God says come come walk with me come know me come come be with me but for Peter the only problem was when Jesus asked him to come walk with him Jesus was doing that which was impossible he was walking on the water. And he invited Peter to come out and we've been looking at that. And and you can go back online on our website and we have all of our messages there, our notes. You can go back and look how we, we looked at every aspect of that of that moment of, of what was happening around there to see how it applies to our lives. Because God doesn't call you and I to come walk on water, but he but he calls us to walk with him in a life that cannot be explained other than the fact that he becomes our Savior and our Lord. That we walk in the freedom that comes from our sins being forgiven. We walk in the joy that's unexplainable. Because how many know when you, when you, when you receive Christ as Savior, the world doesn't just stop, right? Uh, circumstances, life just keeps happening in this messed up, sin-cursed world we live in. But yet in the midst of it, as followers of Christ, we find a peace. That, that, that is, it's unexplainable, joy. that joy that, that is unattainable outside of stepping out by faith and saying, Lord, I trust in you. Today, what I want to do is I want to, I want to go back from this story to what I would call the origin story. I want to, I want to go back and look at, well, how did Peter get there in the first place, and, and how does God lead us into that same arena? It's kind of like the Star Wars movies. Anybody like the Star Wars movies? I, I'm old enough that we saw the original, okay? It freaked us out in the movie screen when somehow the word started going up the screen. That was like, whoa, how did they do that? Because remember, technology was really pretty pitiful back then. And we came out of that, you know, and we're like, man, they could never, they could never improve on that. Because, I mean, that was an amazing story. But then they did. And then they took us back. They didn't keep, they went forward, then they went back. And they, they took us back in a time we had to understand where Luke finally, where he ran into R2-D2 and C-3PO and Princess Leia. And we're like, oh, we get it now. And yet we sometimes forget that the whole side of the story is important. And we can look at Peter walking on the water and say, that was amazing. But I want you to understand, you have to understand how he got there in the first place for it to really be amazing. So today we're going to go back into this story in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter five, beginning in verse one. Uh, today we're reading out of the NIV only because a setting on my computer got changed in my, what I download scripture in. So uh, if you're an ESV, that's okay. NIV, whatever. If you're in the word of God, we're going to be good today. Yeah. One day. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. And now understand again, as we read the word of God, Simon, later Jesus changed his name to Peter. So as we refer to Peter, it's the same person here. So he got in the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, "Look, look at this, master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break so that they signaled to their partners in their boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. But Simon Peter saw this and fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Father, today, God, on this Father's Day, Lord, let our our ears be attentive. Let our hearts be alive, God. Let your word come in, God, and, and grow deep roots into all of us, Father, And I pray that out of this story, God, that's been told for thousands of years and will continue to be told, God, until until your son returns for the bride. Father, I pray, God, let let us continue to be open to your calling on our lives. Father, we give you praise. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got to believe that that morning, none of these fishermen knew they were going to be quitting their jobs that day. I've got to believe when they woke up and they they've been fishing all night, none of them had any idea that, that they were literally going to be called to something greater than what they were already doing. But neither do I think they could have any way of knowing that now some over 2000 years later in our lives, we're still telling this story. But I'm going to try my best today to to bring it into our lives in such a way that the message of the story that applied to them then applies to us now. That literally Christ is calling every one of us to pick up our calling and and to follow him. To to literally leave those things that that are holding us back and, and reach into life and get a hold of the calling he has in our lives. And the reason I'm doing this is because the same reason 2,000 years ago that Jesus called these men to follow him is the same way Jesus calls men today. And he's still looking for men and women who are willing to lay it all down and say, Lord, I will follow you. Let's kind of set the scene so we understand better what was taking place. Luke 5. Jesus had been teaching in the area for a while. In fact, I, the crowds were growing larger and larger. If you can picture it, you know, again, no, no setting like we have today with lights and amplification. He's standing beside the lake and they're pressing in so much so that he's running out of room and, and, he, and he looks around and he sees the boats and, and he goes and gets in one of the boats. It was the boat that was owned by Simon. And he asked him to push away from the shore because if you've been on the lake at all, you recognize sound carries real good over water, doesn't it? It's like you're camping out one night near a lake and, and you know, there's a cabin way across and you can hear the conversations that are taking place. And you're thinking, man, those people are so loud. No, it's just there. It's amplifying across the waves of the water there. And so he, Simon pushed out in the, into, the, into the lake there and, and he began to see what Jesus did. Now, I know that Simon knew who Jesus was because he's gonna call him master in a moment. He had heard of his great exploits. He'd heard of the miracles. He'd he'd heard of his teaching because Jesus didn't teach like anybody else, people. He didn't teach as one just with knowledge. He taught with one who had authority. Oh, come on. When you hear the living word, it's living. It's active. It gets into us. And Jesus had been ministering in the region and, and now he was backing up his claim that he was the Messiah. He was God. He didn't come to offer people a new philosophy. He didn't come to offer them even a new way of life. Here's here's 20 ways your life can be better. Sometimes in our generation, the gospel gets broken down to that. Can I tell you, that is not what the gospel's about. Jesus didn't come to clean up your life. He came to give you a whole new life. He didn't come to make your life better. He came to give you eternal life, which changes everything. And so he wasn't inviting them to a new philosophy or a new way of life. He was offering them real life. And he looks, at G- he looks at Simon and says, can I use your boats? And what's Simon going to say? No, no. Now, he may have wanted to do that. Have you ever wanted to tell God no? Yes, I have. The night he called me to minister, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. You must be talking to the wrong guy. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I heard you correctly. And what did he do? He goes and tells my wife the same thing. And you know, when your wife tells you she heard from God, men, listen, listen. They, they, they tend to do better than we do. But, uh, but Simon, can I use your boat? And he's, sure. But, you know, at the same time, I think everything inside of him is going, oh, why? He and his crew had been out all night. Their job, their career was fishing. Their livelihood came out of what they brought in with their nets. They'd come out of the night and they caught nothing. Now, it's one thing if you're just a hobby fisherman, right? And that, that is like, well, you know, a day on the lake is better than a day in the office. Those kind of things, you know. And it doesn't matter if I caught anything. It was just nice to be away from everything and everyone. But this was their livelihood. And they were tired. They were disappointed. They were frustrated. And I got to believe partly they were wondering, what are we going to tell our wives? Sorry, baby. Didn't get anything last night. I know you wanted the new dress. I know the kids need new shoes, but yeah, the lake's just not, not cooperating right now. And they're repairing their nets. They're getting ready for the next opportunity when Jesus gets in the boat. And Peter does what only he can do. He pushes off from the shore, and he pulls out a little bit into the lake, and now Jesus is teaching the crowd. But you have to understand, Peter's not just sitting at Jesus' feet listening. If you've ever been in water, boats don't stay still in water. You know what I'm talking about? There, there's always a current. There's always the wind that's pushing them. So, so Peter's probably in the back or the bow of the boat, and he's, he's keeping the oars tight, trying to make sure Jesus doesn't drift away from his audience. And as he's listening to Jesus... He's seeing the faces in the crowd, and he's seeing the reactions on people's lives as the words of life are coming out. And he's hearing and he's seeing, he's watching what's taking place, and he knows it's different. He knows it's different than even the days he sat in the synagogue and heard, heard a rabbi or someone read the scrolls, because in that moment, faith was coming alive in Peter's lives. In his life. In that moment, faith was coming alive. Maybe you remember that in your life, or maybe you haven't experienced that yet, that there's something maybe you've heard over and over and over again. All of a sudden, your heart stirs. All of a sudden, something deep inside of you is, is quickened. Your, your emotions You know, we like as men to say, we're not emotional. Yeah, give your daughter away and find out if you're not emotional. You know, uh, his heart was stirred, his emotions were stirred. Listen, there's something about this. It's on the screen this morning. There's something that happens when the creator speaks to creation that cannot be denied. There's something that happens. It's why we pray the way we do at Hope for every one of you. We pray, God, let their ears be open. Let their hearts be ready. Let the word come alive in us. Because these aren't the words of a guy who just wrote a sermon and showed up. God has words. He wants to speak into you today because you are his creation. You're his beloved. And he wants you to know him. And Peter knew it was truth. He knew that Jesus was speaking truth. But up to that point, his life, Peter's life, had been speaking louder than the truth. So many of us find ourselves in that position. God's been trying to get our attention. God's been trying to say something to us. But life is speaking so loudly, we can't hear him. We get so busy. Even, even when the times we come to gather, it's like, well, okay, he's got 40 minutes. We've got stuff to do. Let's go, pastor. When all of eternity is crying out, saying, I want you to know me. I want to be in your boats. All of life was speaking loud until a moment when Jesus turned after speaking. In verse 4, it says, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, put out a little further and let down your nets for a catch. Do you notice in this story, it doesn't tell us what Jesus taught? Because that really wasn't what was important in the story. It doesn't even tell us about the crowds. I believe this moment was purely set up because Jesus wanted to be in Peter's boat. In the same way, you may come to a service like today and it's like, ah, we're doing our church thing. But can I tell you, you've been set up by the king of kings and lord of lords, man, because he wants to be in your boats. But you've got to decide whether you're going to push out or not. You see, Peter says, master, (laughs) we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. You know, before we read the rest of what Peter says, I wonder what he would have liked to have said I wonder what the conversation was that he ate and didn't speak out. I'm sure there was a point where he goes, "Jesus, you're good at what you do. I'm good at what I do. Stay in your lane, Jesus." I'm sure he would have liked to have said, "Did you not hear, Lord, we've been out all night?" We fish at night because at night, the fish come to the surface. At night, they see our torches and they they come around. And oh, by the way, we throw nets at night. Why? Because the fish don't understand it's a net. During the day, they're like, net? Nope. No. Good try. Jesus, no. Do your thing. I'll do mine. I'm good at my job. You stay in your lane, Lord. And I imagine that moment, Peter and Jesus kind of had a stare off. Imagine they're just looking at each other, they're locking eyes, and Peter's, you know, the sweat's starting to trickle down, and Jesus is like, you know what, I've got all eternity. I can stand right here. You're, you're going to die standing in this boat, but I'm going to win this battle. And Peter says something that we have to learn to say. Peter says something that is an attitude of a heart that really makes us a follower of Christ. And he, and he says to him, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, let's be honest. I don't think Peter said that for Jesus' sake. In fact, I think he was looking past Jesus to the crowds and he says, I know you all are thinking this is idiotic, but because he says so, I'm going to let down my nets. I think he was still battling humiliation, a little bit of embarrassment in that moment. It doesn't make sense, Lord, but because you say so, I will. I wonder even if he really made an effort. I wonder if he took the net and he really just threw it out the way he would in the middle of the night or he just kind of like plopped it over the side like whatever. Whatever. I've done what you've asked. But the Bible says when he did it, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So that he had to signal to the partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they thought they were going to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he had the only reaction you can have when you come into contact and you encounter the living God, and he falls on his knees and says, Go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. So were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. I've got to believe for the next 40 years, long after the cross and the resurrection, Peter was still asked about this story. I imagine for years when he sat down, people were like, hey, Peter, tell us about the catch. Tell us about that day. Tell us about what happened. Tell us about about how it felt. And I've got to believe as much as the miracle of the catch was there, Peter Peter had to come to that place where he also told of his reaction, where he said, I told Jesus, you got to get out of my boat. Can you believe I said that? (laughs) Can you believe I told him, you got to get out of my boat. I'm not the type of man you're looking for. None of us are. None of us are. He said, go away from me. I'm sinful. And the, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Guys, we're reading this today, and we're looking at it some 2,000 years after the fact of the story for one reason, and that is today, this is how Jesus calls men, and it's the type of men Jesus calls he, Peter knew who he was, Jesus knew who Peter was, and being near Jesus brought out of him this guilt and this conviction of his own sinfulness and his own shortcomings. And Peter said what he, what he only could say, God, I'm a, I'm a sinful, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus, by saying, don't be afraid, does something so critical. He communicated something to Peter. We have to understand if we're really going to follow Jesus. What he was saying to Peter was this. When Peter said, Jesus, I'm a sinful man, Jesus said, you're right. You're right. But don't be afraid. He didn't say, oh, Peter, it's okay. I know a lot of guys worse than you. I'm not in their boat. I'm in your boat. So just come on in. Give me a hug. You just need a little course correction. It's going to be all right. No, what he was saying was, Peter, you're right. You are sinful, but don't be afraid. I haven't come to condemn you to what you deserve, which is death. I've come to offer you life. I've come to offer you that which you can't attain on your own. Listen, Jesus doesn't talk Peter out of his confession. Sometimes in our day, we can get in the way of the work of God. Because we'll try to talk people out of their confession. Oh, well, you're not that bad. Well, I'm sure there's worse sinners than you. But Jesus didn't come to say, Give me a hug. He came to forgive us of the sin. He didn't come to say, I'm going to leave you as you are. He said, in fact, he says, I can't change you until you see who you are. I can't, I can't give you new life until you see that you need new life. The, tr- the truth of the matter is, guys, that, that we are worse sinners than we even know, and yet Jesus gets in our boats and offers us an opportunity to recognize that and not receive what we deserve. Not the judgment, not the, not the wages of sin, which is death, but in that moment, offer us something we can't get without saying, Lord, I'm yours. In that moment, we recognize that Jesus is who he is, and he has stepped into our boat, and we acknowledge our sin, and he says, don't be afraid. It just begins a journey that doesn't stop in that moment. Too many people in churches today they stop at that moment. Well, I'm saved. Check. That's it. Then they go through the motions. Oh, we show up for church, we show up for church, we show up for church, and we're nice. We don't need so many nice Church people, we need followers of Jesus Christ who are dangerous, who are bold, who are courageous. Not because of their personality or their nature, because now the living God by his spirit is dwelling in us and is sending us out to do that which he created us for, to know him and to make him known. You see, with that realization of our own sinfulness and we acknowledge Christ as our savior, he calls us to do something that we just got to get our brain around and understand that he calls us literally to quit our jobs and pick up our calling. Now, some of you all are like, oh, hallelujah, Mike said I can quit my job. Do not email your boss until you've heard the rest of the sermon, okay? Do not be updating LinkedIn or Indeed or anything else this morning. I'm not asking for a mass exodus from the employment around us. But I want you to understand something about what God is calling you to do and to be. Because it'd be easy to say, well, what's what's wrong with my job? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with your job. In fact, you're probably good at it. You work hard at it. You might even understand that God opened the door for you to have it. Because he alone gives us the ability to create wealth. Yeah. But the problem is, is that many have settled for a job without ever recognizing their calling. And, and we're looking for that out of our job. We're looking for, for what only God can give us out of a job instead of a, a calling. And we get wrapped up in our identity in places where God never asked us to have our identity there. It's in our jobs that so many find validation and respect. Well, I, I go to work because I'm respected there. I'd rather be respected in my home. Yeah. It's in our job that we, we find confidence. Well, we know what I'm doing. I can, I can punch that button over and over again. It's good. The, 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 the line keeps moving. It's in our job we find value. We find life. But, men, listen. We were created for more than having a job. Right. Yes. Jesus has a calling on our lives. Listen, there's nothing wrong with boats and nets. There's nothing wrong with computers and spreadsheets, somebody. There's nothing wrong with sweat and labor. But you're creative for something more than this. You are called to know Jesus. You are called to be his representative wherever you are. You are called to live in such a way you reflect the relationship you have with him. And because of that, he asks us to lay down that which we value sometimes more than we ought to and pick up our calling. See, so often we misunderstand what it is to walk in the will of God. Number one question I've been asked as a pastor over these 36 years is, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Well, you got to start with an understanding of this. And I asked him to put on the screen for you. And that is that God's will for your life is relational, not rational. It's relational, not rational. I am so tired of people asking me where I'm going to be in five years. I got a simple answer with Jesus. Where's that at? Where he wants me to be. You see, it's relational. It's not rational. For some of you young guys out there, you're all, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? Can I tell you this? Get your life in the center of God's love, and he'll make that all work out. Because he has plans for your life, according to Psalm 139, before you ever set fit on this earth. In your mother's womb, he knits you together. He has days for you, the word says. He has moments for you. But we're all caught up in what's God? Well, God, what's my will today? Be with him. Be with him. Reflect him. Here's the second thing about God's will. God's will is not focused on where we are in life. It's focused on where we are in Christ. That's his will. Where are you in Christ? Peter was doing the job. Peter was living the life. Peter found his value and identity in the boat until Jesus stepped in his boat and offered him something greater. You see, God created you and I to be with him. He has a calling in our lives. But when we don't know what our calling is, what we do is this. We build our entire lives around what we do. That becomes our, hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? that's That's our greeting, right? Because somehow that validates who you are. And if it's not a good thing, we build it up better than it is. And, and we we build our entire life around our jobs. And, and the problem with that is we're seeking from a job what we can only find in relationship with Christ. We're seeking in, in a job what we can only find in Christ. And the truth is we're we're comfortable in our jobs. It, it, we get it. There, there's a certain respect we get by the hierarchy. We like our titles. And we feel the accomplishment and the pats on the back. But can going to tell you, God's calling is not 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. His calling transcends that because his calling is 24-7, 365. And it doesn't change whether you're at home, whether you're on the lake, or whether you're in the, in the building doing your job. Our home should be the place where our calling is most evident. Our homes because it's in our home we walk in and we are known and we are loved for who they know we really are. Hanging out with my boys, my daughter, and my family this week, I, I, just the moments you reminisce and those moments where you go, "Yeah, I wasn't a good parent that moment," but you know I loved you. You know, or in those moments where you're like, "Yeah, I, I know y'all thought I knew what I was doing, but I was so lost, and it's okay." And, and we're loved because of who we are. We're not, oh, praise God, my dad's a pastor, oh, that's awesome. No. Praise God, he's my dad who lives as Christ's, who lives as his. You see, we can work hard at our jobs. But if we don't understand our calling, we're going to come home and we're going to seek respect and honor from our spouse or our children because of the deal we landed or because of the job we finished. But can I remind you, that's not what she said I do too. That's not what she said I do too, Guys, we have a fatal flaw that causes us to seek in our work what only Jesus can provide. He wants to be in your boats. He wants to be in your boat. He knows you don't deserve it. He knows you can't do anything to earn his love. He knows you're a sinner, but he says, don't be afraid. So often we let sin drive us away from him. But I want you to understand this truth, and they're going to put it up on the screen for you. Your sin doesn't drive Jesus away from you. It drives him towards you because he is the answer. He is the hope. He is the remedy to the sin. Not just to forgive, get this, y'all. Not just to forgive the sin, but break the power of it over you. Yes. So you just can't walk around and say, "Well, you know, I, I'm a drunk because my dad was a drunk and I'm always a drunk." And The Bible says, "Don't be intoxicated with wine." Yeah. Well, my my anger, you know, I just can't help it. It's my heritage. Oh, baloney! Get over that. Anything surrendered to God comes under His control. And what we, here's something we need to understand as men, receiving Christ doesn't mean he's gonna change who you are personality-wise. No, he wired you that way. And when he takes your personality and puts it under the control of the Holy Spirit, come on, then the kingdom of God's gonna expand because you're gonna reach people that no one else can reach because of who you are in Christ. But you have to understand your calling in order to enter into that. You see, Jesus didn't get into Peter's boat to convince him, Peter, you're okay. He got in there to offer him new life, but Peter had to recognize who he was and also recognize who Jesus was. Guys, Christ has a calling on our lives, but the only way we find it is by a word that's become a dirty word, and that's the word surrender. We don't like surrender. We we don't like, I I remember the first time I had to tap out of a wrestling match, and you're like, oh. I hope nobody saw me that knew me. I had to tap out. We don't like movies where the guys raise the white flags and give up. Somehow it's been encultured into us that surrenders for losers. But It depends on who you're surrendering to. 38 years ago this Thursday, I surrendered my life to this curly-haired woman up on the front row. And I said, I do. And I committed my life to Denise. You know what I recognize is she didn't marry my job. She didn't marry my accomplishments. She didn't even marry my potential earning potential. She was marrying a man who had said yes to Jesus, being in my boat, and the respect and honor she has given me over these 38 years has come because of who I am and who I am becoming, not what I do. In fact, the stress and the struggles in our marriage have been primarily the moments where I focus more on my job than on my calling. Because you can be a preacher and make it a job. You can be a missionary and make it a job. You can be a prophet and make it a job. Or it can be your calling. And that calling draws you nearer to him. And it changes you and it changes what's around you. You see, we have to surrender. We have to surrender daily that says to Jesus, Jesus, it's your boat. It's your net. It's your, it's your lake. It's your fish. It's your weather. It's all yours. And all I can say to you is because you said so, I'm going to do what you ask. Because surrender always leads to obedience. Surrender always leads to understanding it's all his. But yet there's that battle that's always going to be there as a, as a man where my will is going to say, but yeah, but I thought it was mine. I thought I made this. I, I thought I, I made this happen. Jesus, stay in your lane. I'm, I'm good at what I do. And we fight that because of how we're made and there's that strength that's in there. But we have to recognize again, Jesus wants to be in our boat. But there's a big difference from understanding and knowing that Jesus is in your boat (laughs) and knowing the Jesus who's in your boat. Because when you know who he is and you recognize who you are, you have no other option but to surrender. Say, because you say so. It's too easy in our modern Christian culture to say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. He's in my life. I call out to him when I really need him, he's my friend. And have no surrender in your life at all. But when you recognize who Jesus is and who you are and who you're not, you surrender. And then you say, it's all yours. You lay it out. Because surrender says, because you say so, everything else in my life changes. Because you say so, then, Lord, I'm willing to lay down my life for my wife and treat her like the daughter of the king that she is. And not like, old oh, lady I married years ago. And, yeah, we're hanging on. And. Best years behind us. Oh, yeah. She's the daughter of the king. Listen, married men, I'm going to change your prayer life. How about for the next few days, instead of praying to your father, how about start praying to your father in law? Daddy God, who is the father of my wife, dare say many would have to get up off their knees and go have a talk with their wife in that moment and go, I'm sorry. Because if we recognize he is Lord of all, then we have to put all our relationships in alignment there. Because you say so, I'm going to treat her like the daughter of the king. I'm going to treat my kids, Lord, as your kids. Can I tell you, that's a powerful place to be. When they're your kids, God, then you understand the stewardship that he has given you to raise them and to pour your life into them. But ultimately, they are his when I say, because, I, because you say so, Lord, I'm going to release control of my wealth. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God in everything and give it to him. I'm going to release control of my time, and I'm going to seek to serve others. I'm going to lay down my own nets and become that fisher of men. But it only comes when we recognize who he is and who we are. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really like that term fisher of men. If I was a professional fisherman, it would make sense, right? I'm going to leave my boat. I'm going to go fish for men. But I don't think we have any fishermen in the church other than one that likes to go and catch trout up in the mountains. It's a, it's a fun thing. But when Jesus is calling us to, to a life where he is both Savior and Lord, then we, what happens is this. You go back to your job on Monday, but you go in a different way. You, you continue into this career that he has allowed you to walk in, but you see it through different eyes. You can say, Friday I was a banker. But tomorrow, I'm going to be a banker for people who need to know Jesus. On Friday, I was a manager. I manage well. It all works. They depend on me. I don't know what happened if I ever left this place. But on Monday, you show back up as a manager of people who need to see Jesus. On Friday, you can be an IT professional and you're out there fighting malware and all kind of security things and you're keeping those companies humming and you never get the props you ought to get, but yet you're going to show up on Monday and say, I'm an IT professional for Jesus so that others may know him through me. It doesn't matter what your title is, framer, salesman, consultant, whatever. Yesterday, you showed up for a job, but you can choose now whether you show up for a calling. If you haven't figured out, there's a big difference between a career and a calling. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to just give it just plain out. Put it, on the, put it on the screen here. Our career is what we do for a living. Our calling is how we live. Our, our career is what we do for a living. Our calling is how we live. Here's one, and I, I'm not going to apologize, but it busts my bubble. It'll bust yours too. Someone else can do my job, but only I can fulfill my calling. Oh, but no one else can run that firm like I can. Oh, baloney. You're going to retire. They're going to give you a gold watch and cash, and they're going to forget about you in five months. They'll change the name. No one else can can make my department roll. You must not have been in corporate very long. Your name's on a spreadsheet somewhere. When cost cuts come, guess what? You might be there. Well, nobody can pastor this church. I started this church 15 years ago. Oh, there'll be a day there's another man or woman standing up here, and they will do a, gr- a much better job of teaching the word than I do. I know that. Because my calling is not what I do, my calling is who I am. And I have to decide every day am I going to walk in that calling? Am I going to let God shine through me no matter what my title? Because here's the third thing about your career your career is temporary, but your calling's eternal. It's eternal. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in that phase where I'm working with a lot of pastors that are hitting certain ages and they're looking at retirement and all that. And they say, oh, I can't wait to retire. I'm just going to hit the golf course and go fishing and all that. And I'm like, buddy, <laughs> you're still called. You may not have a church. You show up on Sunday and preach, but your life better be preaching. Your, your word better be true. Your life ought, because you know what? I ran into a guy the other day and, um, uh, it was in uh, Spartanburg. Denise and I were on a date and, and I'm just overhearing a conversation. I kind of butted into it and he says, oh, I'm a, I'm a recovering pastor. I get that. The COVID years, guys, if you don't understand it, there's a little crisis in ministry right now because about half quit. And I started leaning in them trying to find out what he's recovering from. And I finally just said, buddy, Get back in the game. God called you, God needs you. Calling doesn't quit. You see, when I live this way, I, I recognize that, that surrender is actually a good thing. Here's the thing about surrender, and that is this the, the hardest thing about to do with surrender is to recognize that I'm no longer in charge. And I like being in charge. How many men like to be in charge? How many women like to be in charge? Yes. And yet we do. It's like, come on, get out of my way. I'm good. I'm I'm the guy in college with group projects were the worst. Because I looked at all these other knuckleheads. I'm like, you're not running my GPA. So I'm taking over. Y'all just follow. We're going to push this thing through. We're getting an A. I still kind of lead that way now. I'm sorry. It's the hardest thing. We're no longer in charge. But can I tell you, I've learned the greatest thing about surrender is you're no longer in charge. It's that's not a bad thing. When I when I live this way, then I recognize my wife is the daughter of the King. So when the doctor's report is not what I wanted to be, I say, God, she's your daughter, and I know how I feel about my daughter. I'll move heaven and earth, but God, she's your daughter. When I when I see my kids, I'm not in God. They belong to you. Saturday night after. The wedding and I'm a little melancholy. I'm just going to be honest. I'm watching her out there dancing with this young man, and I'm like, "Ah, I knew it was coming. Just wasn't ready. And I knew that both my son-in-law and my daughter are so typical of that age where they hit college and they were raised in church. They know Christ, encountered God, and yet have pushed away. We're figuring out life. And as a parent, you understand your heart just Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there and this little young couple walks up and they'd seen my ring. I'm an Aggie. I went to Texas A&M. It's, a, it's like a huge cult. You have to understand they're from Texas. But they saw it and they went, oh, we're Aggies. And I'm like, oh, hey, the cult's together's good. And, they, and, and we always tell each other when we graduated, they're like 2019. And I'm like, oh, Dang. Now I get it, because I was the same way. I'm meeting guys in the elevator in business. I see the ring, I'm like, oh, class of 85. And they'd be like, oh, class of 60. They're like, 19! I'm like, yeah, 85. Yeah, Yeah, you could be my kids. And the young lady looks at me. And she says, I bet you're concerned about your daughter. I said, what what do you mean? It's plenty cool. She goes, look, I know. She goes, we're believers. We felt God sent us to this community that is really far from God to be a witness for him. And I know you've probably been praying for your daughter and your son-in-law, and we've been witnessing to them. We've been showing them. And you know what? They're this close. And I was reminded of the scripture where God says grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Well, dad's in charge, but if dad's in charge, I'm going to push him further away. But God has a way of sending others. They'll help draw them back in. You see, guys, when my career belongs to God, I don't die of stress and anxiety. When my assets belong to God, I have no problem being generous because he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. Some of you you claim to be surrendered to God. Look at your bank account. You're not. You're not. You pay, you give him pittance. You're lucky if you tip him and yet you say you're you're not. And for your kid's sake and your wife's sake, I hope you figure it out. Because he said, I will pour out a blessing on your family and upon you, you can't contain. But he's got to be first. When I surrender to God, my talents are him, are his. I don't have to sit around and worry about, how do I keep up with these young guys? I gotta go change all the methods and all. No, God called me to preach the word. Preach the word. I don't have to be a marketing genius to be a pastor. I preach the word, I pray, I love, I shepherd. It hasn't changed. But it all came down to one thing and that is Jesus got in my boat. And Jesus wants to get in your boat. And you can either repel him and say, I'm a sinful man, go away. And he's looking at you and he's going to say, I'm not going to go away, but don't be afraid. I haven't come to condemn you, I've come to give you life. To change you from the inside out. To change your life from being dominated by sin that you hate anyway. You know the disgust you feel when you blow up at your family or your co-workers. You know that cringe inside when you know you've gone over a line that you know better than going over, but yet you do it and you feel like you can't control it? Can I tell you, God wants to change your life. Not your personality, but your life. He wants to show you what you were made to be because your calling is not your career. Your calling starts at home. Your calling is to those who intersect with your life. And Jesus showed us the way to do it. Listen, man. Whether you're a father, son, young adult, teenager, trying to figure it out, the love of Christ and the life of Christ, when it's at work in you, it changes everything. But we have to follow his lead. We have to understand what he came to do and what he's called us to do. And I I really believe it's summed up in this scripture in Matthew 20, 28. It says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life is a ransom for many. On this Father's Day, 2023, understand this, Jesus wants to be in your boat. But not only does he want to be in your boat, he wants you to surrender to him. He wants you to confess, I need you. You see, sin is never broken until we confess it. Well, Pastor, you know, I've got this pornography problem. What are you doing about that? Well, I feel bad about it. Well, let's take it to the next level beyond feeling bad about it. Why don't you give it to Him and say, Lord, break the chains that bind me? Well, pa- Pastor, I've got this ego problem. I- I'm just, I can't help but be boastful and proud. God made you with a strong character and a strong personality, that's great. But if you humble yourself before him, he'll lift you up. And he'll take you places you can never get on your own. Well, Pastor, this marriage thing, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for it. I believe you stood somewhere and said, I commit to you my life for better, for worse, for sick or poor, sickness and health. Till death do we part. So you give it to him. And he creates something you can't create by yourself. But the power of sin is broken when we confess. He's, he's calling you to quit your job. Stop making your job your idol. Stop, stop making it the place where you get what only God can promise you when you walk in your calling. And put down the tools of work and pick up the calling.